morning. Our first case this morning is Farmer versus Troy University et al. And we will hear from the appellant. May it please the court, I am Harold Kennedy III of the Forsyth County Bar, and I am here today representing the plaintiff, Sherelle Farmer. In Franchise Tax Board of California versus Hyatt, at footnote one, Justice Thomas makes clear that the law of the case doctrine was not raised in the courts below, and therefore that issue was not discussed and decided by the United States Supreme Court in Hyatt. However, in the present case, plaintiff raised the issue of waiver of sovereign immunity at the trial court, at the Court of Appeals, and now before this court. Our first issue today is that Troy University waived the defense of sovereign immunity in this case. We make several points. We say that Troy University knew when it came into North Carolina to conduct business that the North Carolina Constitution included a sue and be sued clause. It knew that there was a scheme pursuant to the North Carolina General Statutes that allows nonprofit corporations to sue and be sued. And they knew that the Supreme Court of North Carolina for over 174 years has held consistently that corporations doing business in North Carolina have the legal right to sue and be sued. Knowing this, Troy University decided to come into North Carolina and conduct business as a domesticated foreign nonprofit corporation it agreed to abide by our laws, by our rules, when it came into North Carolina and received a certificate of authority from the North Carolina Secretary of State. What Troy University is saying today is that it cannot be sued in the General Court of Justice for violating North Carolina laws based on sovereign immunity. It is saying that our laws, our rules, don't apply to them. It knew if it violated our laws, however, it could be sued when they first came into this state. The plaintiff contends that Troy University's argument is non-meritorious uh, for three reasons dealing with their sovereign immunity issue. First, we say this court should hold that Troy University, if it had sovereign immunity in this state, expressly waived any such sovereign immunity. This argument, uh, and we base this on uh, uh, the doctrine of express waiver, and we say that can be found solely in the North Carolina Constitution. Under Article 8, Section 2 of our Constitution, it states specifically, all corporations, again, all corporations, shall have the right to sue and be subject to be sued in all courts in like cases as natural persons. This argument was completely ignored by the defendant Troy University. They do not address this in their brief. We contend that this case can be decided solely on the language of our state constitution. As this court said in Stedman versus Winston-Salem in 1933, the provisions of the North Carolina Constitution are to be liberally construed. So we contend that this argument, dealing with the North Carolina Constitution, is dispositive of this appeal. Mr. Mr. Kennedy, yes. before you get any further, my reading of Hyatt is that it is a federal constitutional case. Yes. And so regardless of whatever the state constitution may say if the federal constitution conflicts with it, uh, we'd have to go with what the federal constitution said. But we're right? saying that there's waiver here, I and mean, that's our argument. We're not arguing uh, Hyatt. We're saying that uh, 
that uh, there's waiver on our but first so are, so are you conceding that the principle that was enunciated in absent waiver that the principle enunciated in Hyatt is applicable here? Well, we, our second argument is Hyatt doesn't apply. Okay. Uh, that's so, the you're, second. so you're saying both? Yeah, we're saying that uh, we're saying that if it did apply, we have waiver. But our second argument would be that uh, Hyatt does not apply in this case. Okay. Uh, yes. Well, let me just say this in terms of the North Carolina Constitution. Our argument is that can be dispositive here because we're dealing with a. Uh, Again, the state constitutional provision that uh, we say here that uh, uh, all corporations shall have the right to sue and shall be subject to be sued in all courts in like cases as natural persons. The second thing we say is that express waiver can also be found in the North Carolina statutory scheme dealing with nonprofit corporations. And there's a statutory scheme here. I want to focus on two two statutes in particular, GS55A-3-02A1 states that nonprofit corporations have the power to sue and be sued, complain and defend in its corporate name. But beyond that, there's a non-discrimination provision in uh, GS55A-15-05B which says that a foreign nonprofit corporation with a valid certificate of authority has the same but no greater rights and the same but no greater privileges as a domestic corporation of like character. So we're saying here that Troy University should not be treated any differently than every other corporation doing business in North Carolina. And that's their point. They're saying that that we should be treated different from every corporation doing business in this state. We say third of all, though, that the precedents from the Supreme Court of North Carolina, beginning with Mears versus Commissioners of Wilmington in 1848, that our courts consistently have held that corporations <coughs> in this state have the right to sue and be sued. And uh, we posit in our brief this question. We say, what if Troy defrauded thousands of North Carolina residents? Uh, and they came in and said, well, we have sovereign immunity. You can't do anything to us because uh, we can defraud all these residents and you can't sue in, uh, in North Carolina state court. Or, as happened in this case, Mr. Farmer saying in this case that he was discriminated against on the basis of his sex. He was sexually harassed on his job. That's a violation of North Carolina law in GS 143-222.1 uh, and also North Carolina public policy under that statute. So they're saying that they would be the only corporation in the state that could violate the discrimination laws on the basis of sex, race, age, etc., and they couldn't be sued in the North Carolina courts. Uh, we say that's completely not viable, but again, that's what... Uh, Mr. Farmer says his wrongful discharge claim uh, in his complaint. So we're saying this, if you take all this together, all the fact that uh, Troy University knew of the North Carolina Constitution, North Carolina general statutes, uh, North Carolina case law dealing with sue and be sued provisions, knowing this, they filled out and signed a written application for a certificate of authority they paid a fee to the Secretary of State's office. They received a certificate of authority to transact business in this state. If you take all that together, we say that's clearly an express waiver. You, you, do, you do concede then, I take it, that the waiver must be expressed rather than implied? We do, and uh, uh, maybe I'll just deal with that right now. The, we cite in our, uh, our memorandum of additional authorities the we talk about the case that just came down from the New York uh, Appellate Division, the Colt uh, uh, case, uh, Colt versus New Jersey Transportation Corporation. And the, that was just a few weeks ago. That's in May of this year. And the, uh, this is post-Hyatt. So they're probably the first appellate court in the United States to deal with this issue post-Hyatt. And they ruled in favor of the plaintiff uh, on this appeal. They said that uh, 
they found express waiver. I mean, the New York court said, okay, we got to deal with the express waiver issue. They cited another case they'd had uh, a year ago, which also uses the words, the term express waiver. But what the New York court said is this. They said that uh, they found express waivers in these sue and be sued clauses, especially where the tort occurred in New York and the tort visa was a New Jersey governmental entity that had sovereign immunity in New Jersey. The facts in court we contend are similar to the case we're dealing with here today. Uh, in that case, the plaintiff was hit by a New York transit bus the, when he was crossing the street in New York City. New Jersey has sovereign immunity, so the plaintiff could not sue in New Jersey. Uh, but the plaintiff filed a lawsuit in New York. And this, again, this is post Hyde, but the New York appellate uh, uh, court said that the, uh, the New York, New York, they ruled in favor of the plaintiff and said this, that dismissal would not be appropriate where the alternative form does not permit litigation of the subject matter of the dispute. Thus, our plaintiffs and other similarly situated plaintiffs or without a judicial forum. This absurd result cannot be jurisprudentially justified. We hold that under these circumstances, the dismissal of this action against NJT in the absence of an available judicial forum in New Jersey, because the injury occurred in New York, is an affront to our sense of justice and cannot be counted. So the New York court said, look, the only remedy this person has is in the New York courts because New Jersey has sovereign immunity and they can't sue in New Jersey. That's the same issue we're dealing with uh, here. And it so, says, so, that, so is your argument that your client has to be able to be able to bring suit somewhere? Somewhere. How does that square with uh, the entire principle underlying Hyatt, which seems to say that at least in certain circumstances, a state can contend regardless of where it's sued that it's immune. Yeah, we're saying, of course, our position is this is a waiver, so we never get to Hyatt. All right? does, the, does the New York case involve a waiver? It, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does. So uh, that was the whole issue here. They, uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy, let me yes. follow up on that. In the New York case, um, we're obviously not bound by the case from New York. I understand that. Um, but what can you tell us about, um, what about the circumstances and the controlling underlying authorities in that case would make it applicable in North Carolina, or at least um, a, something that we should find authoritative? Yeah, well, I think the, uh, first of all, this was a personal injury action in New York. Uh, in this case, the tort occurred in North Carolina, not Alabama. Uh, the plaintiff is in North Carolina. He's the person that suffered the injuries. The tort feasors were people who were residents of North Carolina. I mean, everything happened here in North Carolina just like it did in New York. Uh, I think the law is pretty much the same in New York and North Carolina, at least under the under tort litigation. And uh, Was it this based on, Is it based on the New York um, Constitution? Uh, or common law, or what can Yeah, you I think basically it was based on uh, common law as well as the sue and be sued clause. I mean, all these cases have the same sue and, sue and be sued clause. But I would say further that this court's already said in quorum that uh, uh, if there's a tort, uh, if you suffer an injury in North Carolina, you should have the right to, to have some type of uh, remedy. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's the law in North Carolina. We've had that for years, that where there's a wrong, there has to be a remedy in this state, specifically talking about uh, tort litigation in North Carolina. Let me talk briefly about Guthrie, uh, because that's the main case that the, the other side raises. Uh, and they cite in their brief at page 22, they say this, they said, this court found that statutory authority to sue and be sued is not always construed as an express waiver of sovereign immunity. We say the flip side of that would be that sue and be sued clauses in the North Carolina general statutes are mostly construed as an express waiver of sovereign immunity. 
And we talk, uh, I want to focus the court's attention on Guthrie because there was an express waiver in Guthrie. That's what the state Supreme Court said. There was an express waiver in Guthrie under the North Carolina State Tort Claims Act. And so this court allowed the plaintiff to, to sue in Guthrie under the State Tort Claims Act because the, the court was saying that they had to construe two statutes here, one dealing with the Ports Authority Act and one with the, tort, uh, the uh, State Tort Claims Act. And this court said that, the, that there was a waiver here. The waiver was the, the State Tort Claims Act, so the plaintiff did have a remedy. Well, this in North case Carolina. doesn't involve the Tort Claims Act, uh, correct? No, no. Um, and no, our point is just saying that there was a waiver in Guthrie, but of course in this case we're talking about uh, being able to have a lawsuit in the general court of justice in Superior Court. Well, let me ask you, as I understand it, the Alabama Constitution um, provides that Alabama's immunity can't be waived. Yeah, but uh, Alabama's exactly. Constitution only deals with what happens within the confines of Alabama. I mean, all the cases that the the defendant cites in his brief all dealing mainly with tort litigation where somebody got injured within the boundaries of Alabama. None of that deals with what happens outside of Alabama. And how could the Alabama Constitution control what goes on in terms of the regulation of business in North Carolina? But isn't, isn't that what happened in Hyatt? I mean, the facts, I mean, the, you know, the underlying claims are different. Right. Admittedly, but you had a group of folks who worked for whatever California calls its Department of Revenue right. who went into the state of Nevada and did various things that the plaintiff thought constituted intentional torts. But and remember, Hyatt that, had nothing to do with the situation we have well, here dealing with... Hang, hang on a second. Okay, okay. It, it does seem to me that, I mean, the effect of Hyatt is that at some point in some set of circumstances, there is the ability of a state or its agents sued in their official capacity to contend that they are immune from suit based upon their home state immunity in the courts of other states. I mean, that's what Hyatt holds, that you could not sue these California revenue agents in Nevada for torts committed in Nevada. So there is some, I mean, Hyatt by itself recognizes some level of extraterritorial immunity for the employees of the home states. So the fact that, I mean, I'm not sure that Hyatt doesn't say that if a state acts outside its own boundaries, it still can't claim immunity. Well, I say that's why we're saying that, uh, that uh, we're dealing with waiver here because we know that, uh, that if there's waiver, of course, uh, uh, you know, how it doesn't really come into play. How do we address what the Court of Appeals has said about Guthrie, that Guthrie is distinguishable because there is not the same kind of explicit language that you say we ought to see as this court is uh, configured uh, in Guthrie in terms of some explicit waiver? Well, we say, first of all, that the court recognized waiver in Guthrie. Secondly, we said that Guthrie allowed the plaintiff to seek monetary damage under the State Tort Claims Act, so there was some remedy for damages in Guthrie. And again, this court was construing two statutes together in Guthrie, so it's a unique situation. We contend that uh, here that uh, and uh, in fact, another issue, of course, that uh, uh, Guthrie uh, was not involved in, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. But I think those are the points we make in, in Guthrie, that uh, it was a unique situation construing two statutes, and the plaintiff did have the right in Guthrie uh, to get monetary damages. This may sound a little um, inconsistent, but are you saying here that there is explicit waiver based upon what we should see as implicitly involved in the fact that the corporation is here, Troy University, as a nonprofit, and as a nonprofit itself. Therefore, that would mean that it is inherent that 
there's an explicit waiver just by the fact that it's present in this state as a nonprofit? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying here that in this case, uh, when they, before they came into North Carolina, they knew what North Carolina laws were. Uh, and they also agreed to abide by North Carolina law. That's one of the things that's in the certificate of authority. So, you know, we want corporations to come from other states and, and come into North Carolina and be successful, but the flip side of that is the corporations that are coming into this state, we want them to abide by North Carolina laws. And that did not happen in this case that we're dealing with. But for us to be able to look at Guthrie as you'd like us to, as we, as this court would review the Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals says, and I'm quoting here, quote, plaintiff here has not shown any similarly explicit waiver of state sovereign immunity, unquote. While it's not the same kind of language, according to the Court of Appeals, is the Court of Appeals in error, or should we as a body look at something else that is equivalent to explicit language here that the Court of Appeals is not recognizing? Yes. We're saying the Court of Appeals is clearly in error. If you read the opinion, the Court of Appeals doesn't, doesn't even deal with the North Carolina Constitution. And we're saying this case could be decided solely on the North Carolina Constitution. We're saying also that these state statutory schemes that the Court of Appeals didn't give any weight to, and in fact, I don't think they even really discussed the non-discrimination provision, but we're saying if you put the state constitution, the statutory schemes, and 174 years of the jurisprudence of the North Carolina Supreme Court together, that that would constitute an express waiver. That's, a, that's the argument we're making here. Can, can I um, ask you to go back to Hyatt for just a moment okay. um, and make sure I'm clear? Is your argument then that the crucial difference between this case and Hyatt, and the reason why the outcome in Hyatt doesn't control here, is that in Hyatt, the state was not subject to, was not acting as a corporation, was not, there was no sue and be sued clause um, operative or involved in Hyatt. That's what we're saying. That uh, here we've got, uh, I mean, North Carolina's been regulating business and corporations since almost the founding of the state. This is clearly something that North Carolina's highly involved in, regulating business in this state. A sue and be sue clause means something in so many of these cases. But of course, that, none of that's applicable to Hyatt. I mean, Hyatt's just dealing with a man who, was, uh, who made a fortune in California, absconded to Nevada because he didn't want to pay his taxes. I mean, that's pretty much. But it had nothing to do with the regulation of uh, corporations <coughs> in California or Nevada. Uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy, um, to follow up on that, uh, there's language in Guthrie that says, with respect to actions, uh, we continue to recognize no distinction between government or proprietary, proprietary functions of the state as, as sovereign. And so what I thought I heard you say, and please, uh, this opportunity to get me straightened out, is that um, the difference between Hyatt and the case before us is whether they were acting as a corporation or not. But at least these words in Guthrie indicate to me that that would not be dispositive. Can you help me understand that? Well, again, as I said in Guthrie, there was a waiver, number one, in Guthrie. And, uh, and so we're saying that uh, uh, in Guthrie, uh, I mean, the plaintiff won in terms of getting, being able to get monetary damages, but it was limited based on the two statutes that this court was construing. But I think what you're uh, talking about, I guess I need to move into my second argument. And we're saying on the second argument that Troy University divested itself of its sovereignty when it registered as a domestic foreign nonprofit corporation with the office of the North Carolina Secretary of State and came into this state and conducted business and commerce. We're dealing here with three major cases, and I don't have time to go into the details of all of them. But we discuss it thoroughly in our brief, uh, Georgia versus Chattanooga, Dunhill of London, Inc. versus the Republic of Cuba, and Bank of the United States versus Planners Bank of Georgia, all United States Supreme Court decisions 
If I could focus on just one of those decisions, I would focus on Bank of the United States versus Planners, Planners Bank of Georgia. It was an opinion written by the great Chief Justice John Marshall back in 1824. At that time, uh, Georgia had a state statute giving the bank the power to sue and be sued. So we're dealing with a similar. We've got a state statute in North Carolina dealing with sue and be sued. He pointed out that states are not suable, but the corporations are, and that the State Bank of Georgia was a corporation and could be sued just like any other corporation. Here the corporation is Troy University, not the state of Alabama. And plaintiffs, have the, we say, has the right to sue Troy University in North Carolina because it is a corporation. It has to be treated like any other corporation doing business in the state. But the State Bank of Georgia was a corporation of which the state of Georgia was a member. The United States Supreme Court held that when a government becomes a partner in any trading company, it divests itself of its sovereign character and takes on the character of a private person. So what we're saying in this case is that sovereign immunity is not an issue in this case because here you've got a sue and be sued clause in North Carolina and the Troy University, once it came into North Carolina to conduct business and commerce, is no longer a governmental agency. It's treated as any other corporation doing business in North Carolina. And that's been the law of the United States since 1824, since uh, Chief Justice John Marshall wrote that decision. And we take you up to 1976 uh, to the Dunhill decision where the U.S. Supreme Court says the same thing. I reserve my last uh, three minutes and 30 seconds for rebuttal. Thank you, sir. We'll hear from the appellee. May it please the court, my name is Ben Fryer and I represent the appellee Troy University. Mr. Farmer appeals the decisions of the trial court and the court of appeals with two principal arguments. First, as we've heard today, that the North Carolina Constitution trumps the state of Alabama's sovereign immunity. And second, and alternatively, that Alabama waived its sovereign immunity by engaging in commercial activity or when Troy University registered as a nonprofit corporation with the North Carolina Secretary of State. This court's precedent and United States Supreme Court precedent have rejected those two arguments. And I think it's important that we talk about Hyatt. I think Hyatt is the place to start. The Supreme Court decision in Hyatt is decisive here. The North Carolina Constitution does not and cannot abrogate Alabama's <coughs> sovereign immunity. This is about the very nature of our federal scheme. And this is why we must start with Hyatt. Well, it, 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 to, to get to the point I think we've got here, I mean, Hyatt, clearly, if you, if you read Hyatt, it goes into great detail about whether interstate sovereign immunity exists and holds that it does. And then it holds that interstate sovereign immunity barred the claims against the California Revenue Agents. But it doesn't really seem to me to say a lot about what's the scope of interstate sovereign immunity. Uh, for example, is interstate sovereign immunity, is it an independent federal constitutional principle uh, so that the scope of it would not vary from state to state? Does it incorporate the each state's individual uh, <coughs> sovereign immunity laws? What is the scope of interstate sovereign immunity outlined in Hall as you understand it? Yes, Your Honor. I believe that Justice Thomas's majority says it is as broad as it can be. And it is not about the nature of one state's constitution or another state's. So, so each state under Hall, as you read it, has the same degree of immunity in other states? I'm sorry, Your Honor, under so Hall or each, under Hyatt? I've said each, under Hyatt, does yes. each state, regardless of its own internal sovereign immunity jurisprudence, have the same 
degree of immunity in the courts of all the other states. Absolutely, and, and I think, Your Honor, what, what Justice Thomas says is each state's equal dignity and sovereignty under the Constitution implies certain constitutional limitations on sovereignty of all of its sister states. And, and what's critical here is one such limitation is the inability of one state to hail another into its courts without the latter's consent. And, and I think that that language is and, is, and that's a doc. That I mean that that, in your view, then is a rule that emanates from the federal constitution, not from individual state law. Yes, Your Honor, and I think Hyatt says that. I, I think that Hyatt says that the uh, when there was the law of nations between and among nations, as the colonies were after independence, but before the ratification of the constitution, they acted like nations. But when we formed our union, when the Constitution was ratified, it, as, as the court says, it fundamentally changed the relationship with the states and sister states. And part of that is that they gave up, each state gave up some of its sovereignty to respect the sovereignty of other states. And, and so I think speaking in terms of state and states here, not state and federal. So, so, so the scope of Alabama's interstate sovereign immunity would not then hinge on whatever the law of Alabama was with respect to its own doctrine of sovereign immunity? I believe that's correct, Your okay. Honor. I, I think the one thing I would say about Alabama's law with respect to it's, sovereign immunity. I mean, from what the way it's described in your brief, it's pretty, pretty stiff. And barrier, I, probably I, stiffer than North Carolina's. I, and I think you're right about that, Your Honor. I, I, the Alabama Constitution says that the legislature can't even waive sovereign immunity on behalf of the state. So we wouldn't, but we would not, we would not determine the nature and extent of any ability to waive sovereign immunity under Hyatt based on Alabama's rules. It would be some more generic federal. I, I think that's right, Your Honor, and I think there are some principles. I mean, we recognize that uh, sovereign immunity has been and can be waived under certain federal uh, cases that, that we've seen, and I think that um, Hyatt recognizes that there can be waiver. And, and so on that very point, um, let me ask you about another case that the US Supreme Court decided um, within days of Hyatt, and that's Thacker versus TVA, which was unanimous and um, said that a sue and be sued clause serves to waive sovereign immunity for suit. Don't we also need to apply that case? Well, Your Honor, uh, I think the sue and be sued language is important, and I, was talk I would talk about that next. I think the difference with that case, though, is that, that uh, the, the TVA is a interstate amalgam of efforts, um, and, and it is, in fact, state and federal in a partnership. Um, this is not uh, dissimilar to the Missouri-Tennessee case, where it was found that those, that entity, that government entity that was, in effect, a joint venture between states uh, could be sued because it doesn't have the same character as an instrumentality of a sovereign state. But, but why would that distinction matter if the, uh, uh, as it regards the general principle in Thacker, since we're looking to federal law to decide when states can waive sovereign immunity, why would that distinction that you've just described in any way mitigate the principle in Thacker that a sue and be sued clause waives sovereign immunity? Because it's a, I, I think it's a lesser standard for the TVA as opposed to an instrumentality of a sovereign state. And what we, what we know from Hyatt is that a state has this sovereign immunity irrespective of the laws and constitutions of other states, that that's part of our federal design. Um, the waiver, must be unequivocal, it must be explicit, and where the sovereign is uh, acting, which is as Troy is under Alabama's constitution and its uh, charter, uh, that is different than a grouping of state efforts in a joint partnership that doesn't retain the sovereignty of its, its respective states. But don't we also know under Thacker that a sue and be sue clause is a waiver of sovereign immunity? Uh, as to an entity like the TVA, not as to a entity that is an arm of a sovereign state. And I think this court in Guthrie is where to look for, uh, for guidance there. The court in Guthrie found that there was a waiver, but the waiver there was two separate acts enacted by the state legislature with respect to 
its own uh, arms of its own government. And, and, and let me, before you go any further, let me to go back to your in my discussion of a minute ago. If what we're talking about here is a federal immunity doctrine that's governed by federal law and not the law of any individual state, why does, for example, North Carolina waiver law as compared to some more generic federal law have any application to this resolution of this issue? I, I don't believe it does other than as um, persuasive, other than the United, this court finding that here is a legislature that has spoken twice about an entity that can be sued in the state of North Carolina by its private citizens. And I would say here, of course, there is no such legislative pronouncement by the Alabama legislature. Here is nothing more, truly nothing more than implication, right? The, I, I think I counted five times in plaintiff's briefings where it reads that uh, implicitly Troy waived its sovereign immunity by registering as a nonprofit corporation in this state. But we know that, it, that a state agency cannot waive its sovereign immunity by implication. It must be by unequivocal and explicit uh, act. And we don't have that here. Does the nature of the conduct in which the extraterritorial state activity consists of matter, like for example here, in, in, in height, I mean, it's pretty hard not to describe enforcing a state's revenue laws as pretty much a core governmental function. I mean, as someone who draws his paycheck from the taxpayers, that certainly <laughs> seems to me to be important. Um, but what, for example, would be the situation under height if, for example, uh, Alabama had gone out and bought a number of McDonald's franchisees, or maybe given the number of pizza analogies we used yesterday, Pizza Hut franchises, and operated those franchises in North Carolina. So that the, the franchises were, I mean, the, the specific restaurants were owned by the state of Alabama, but they were providing food service in North Carolina in competition with other local businesses. Does that set of facts, which admittedly are pretty extreme, and I may ask them intentionally because they were extreme, uh, under your view of interstate sovereign immunity, could someone who got into a dispute over whether they bit into a pizza and broke a tooth because there was a bone in the sausage, uh, could that person sue under Hyatt? I don't think we know the answer just from Hyatt. My belief is that they could not. But what I think is very important here is that Troy University is acting absolutely within the context of, a, of its government. Part of its government character is, it, is, a, is its public school. This is... What one could argue, and I'm, again, I'm just sending, you know, I mean, I'm trying to understand your view of the scope of Hyatt. Troy University, I mean, we have a state university system here that I'm a lot more familiar with than the one in Alabama, but traditionally the sort of public perception of the university system in this state is that it was created and exists and funded by the General Assembly to educate North Carolina students. Uh, here we have, assuming that the same basic logic supports the creation of the Alabama system, uh, one would assume that Troy was created primarily for the purpose of educating students in Alabama. The allegations in this complaint suggest that it came into North Carolina in more of an entrepreneurial role as compared to the traditional core function of a state university system. Does that matter? Well, Your Honor, I would disagree that it came here in an entrepreneurial okay. way. Tell, tell me why. Yes, Your Honor. I, I think what we have learned uh, is that public education provides benefits to the home state even above and beyond educating the citizens of that state. No, recruiting talented North Carolinians, which was the purpose of Troy's office here in North Carolina, to come be students in Troy, Alabama, or of Troy, Alabama, we, we know there are incredible benefits to educating students even from out of state that then stay in the state 
and with that education stay, stay in which state if they if for example you were in if the office here allegedly is in Fayetteville presumably if you're recruiting military personnel they're probably taking their courses online rather than going to Troy's you know physical campus in Alabama some do and some do both and some can get graduate student uh, graduate programs in in Alabama and, and I think the University of North Carolina as well, I mean every I mean, I mean basically all universities now except perhaps the one did Davidson College where I went has an online presence where you take classes remotely I think that's pretty standard now. sure sure I, I think that the answer still is that as a institution of higher education a public school chartered by the state of Alabama uh, it is acting as that as a public university even when it recruits students from out of state and what benefits it sees to that for the people of Alabama, for the state of Alabama, I think we're you know, part of that charter. So, let, so it, oh, let me, sorry, go ahead. I, I want to ask, I want to go back and um, follow up on what you said about Guthrie. Um, as I, and correct me if I understood you incorrectly, that you said that Gu Guthrie was an explicit legislative waiver of immunity by the enactment of the Tort Claims Act? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, and that that was more applicable as a framework of analysis here than some of the other cases that have been talked about? I think it is a much better example of a clear express waiver as opposed to an implicit waiver. Okay, well, so if then the U.S. Supreme Court has said in Thacker that sue and be sued um, language can be a waiver and Troy voluntarily comes into North Carolina knowing that North Carolina Constitution and statutory enactments have specific sue-and-be-sued language, why don't we apply those as an explicit waiver under Thacker, combined with your um, discussion of Guthrie? Sure. Well, I, I think first Thacker says sue-and-be-sue could be a waiver. It doesn't say it is. It is not dispositive. And I think here the important piece of this, I, I think, is that uh, it doesn't, it is not uh, possible for the state of North Carolina, even through its constitution, to limit Alabama's sovereign immunity. And so absent Alabama coming here and expressly saying that it consents to suit in this state's courts, it has not waived that. Well, the plaintiff has argued that that's exactly what they did when they applied for and received a certificate um, under North Carolina law to do business in North Carolina. I think that certificate's a little bit different than the way the plaintiff has described it, Your Honor. The, that language is really in the section of our code that pertains to domestic nonprofit corporations. Where foreign nonprofit corporations are concerned is exactly uh, the, the quote that Mr. Mr. Kennedy read. Uh, the, the Nonprofit Corporations Act provides that foreign nonprofits have the same but no greater rights and has the same but no greater privileges as a domestic corporation of like character. But what is the character? The character of the nonprofit corporation that is Troy University is an institution of higher education. It is an arm of the state of Alabama. And so a like, a domestic corporation of like character would be one that is an arm of the state of North Carolina. And we know that 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 entity would enjoy sovereign immunity here in the courts of North Carolina, even as against its citizens, unless the state of North Carolina had expressed otherwise. And so I think the comparison is not, uh, North, is not Troy as a foreign nonprofit <coughs> corporation as opposed to any other 501c3 or any other nonprofit corporation in the state. The comparison is one of like character, as that statute reads, and that would be an entity that enjoys sovereign immunity. And do you have authority for the, the that last statement that you made about the North Carolina um, University being immune under unless there's a waiver? Yeah, I believe Curry. Uh, uh, Curry, I believe, is the case. I'm glad to uh, double check that, but okay. I believe but, that was the University of North Carolina system and Appalachian State as well. I believe. But so then are you saying, are you agreeing that quorum would then apply? Quorum. I'm so sorry. That's right. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so is that your, so, I mean, because because the plaintiffs are arguing that quorum applies mm -hmm. and that um, if there, so under quorum, um, even if the defendant is 
in that case it was um, Appalachian State, but even if a defendant is uh, um, arm of the state, if there's no other remedy, there, the state, consti uh, state constitutional claim can be entertained. No. So I, I think that, that, that this is persuasive. We are looking to examples for waiver. Quorum is one where there was waiver found. Uh, but there again, that's one in which the, the state made a determination to waive, at least in part, uh, at least in part, its sovereign immunity, and in particular because within the state of North Carolina, uh, the North Carolina Constitution guarantees certain rights in the Declaration of Rights. But that's not what we have here. We have a foreign government, a foreign state, right, the state of Alabama, uh, who has not made any such promises to any of the citizens of the state of North Carolina. And North Carolina, even with its obligation uh, to provide remedies for wrongs for its citizens, even that obligation and its constitutional mandate cannot limit the sovereign immunity of the state of Alabama. But, but I thought you were just telling us that by uh, um, registering as a nonprofit corporation, the University of Troy University was agreeing to be treated the same as, as other state universities, not the same as other nonprofit, other private nonprofit organizations. Right, which is, which is an entity that has sovereign immunity. Well, except under certain circumstances, we've said, such as quorum, mm -hmm. that suits can be entertained. Sure, and, and I'm, not, I'm not denying that under certain circumstances, a waiver can diminish or abrogate sovereign immunity. But what I'm saying is it hasn't happened here. And, and I think we look to Guthrie and then we look to um, quorum as, as examples of where do we find waiver and where do we not? Because I think the, the, the principle in Hyatt is as broad as it can be. And, and so just to be clear on the question of broadness, um, you're saying that it wouldn't matter what Troy University did, whether this was a landlord-tenant dispute, whether this was a property dispute over land they purchased, whether this was some any other type of intentional tort than the one being alleged here, it would not matter. They absolutely cannot be sued in North Carolina. In North Carolina state court, right. unless they have expressly waived that, no, they cannot be sued. Now, of course, well, there were claims available, right? These, brought, these were torts that were brought much later. There were claims available because there are government entities, governments themselves, who have agreed to be subject to federal jurisdiction for federal discrimination laws. And a lot of that, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, for example, uh, was contingent upon, it was, a, it was express waiver made contingent upon receipt of federal funding. So there was a, a cause of action here, there was a remedy here. It's not the one that was chosen, however. So let me ask you, what are you saying then is the meaning of the certificate that Troy University obtained in order to come into North Carolina where it agreed to um, you know, do business in the state and to, be, to sue and be sued? What does that mean? Are you saying it doesn't mean that? Well, I, first I think that the the sue and be sued language applies to domestic corporations, whereas I think it's in 55A1505 is where uh, the, uh, it pertains to foreign corporations. Uh, what I am saying is... It says it has the same but no greater rights and the same but no greater privileges and is subject to the same duties, restrictions, penalties, and liabilities as of, a domestic corporation. Of a domestic corporation of like character. And I think the like character is critical in that, in that formulation because this is an entity that comes with sovereign immunity. That differentiates it from other nonprofit corporations that may register in the state. Well, does it differentiate it from Appalachian, which is an arm of the North Carolina University system, as in Quorum? Perhaps not. And, but there, a waiver was found, right? The, the Appalachian state in the beginning would, as an arm of the, of the state of North Carolina, have sovereign, sovereign immunity. And that sovereign immunity can only be waived by the state of North Carolina. So I, 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 I think it, it would have the same um, sovereign immunity character as Appalachian State. But there was a choice to waive it in, in that case. It seems that we're wrestling with the breadth of Hyatt and its application. Uh, 
are the facts of Hall that was overruled by Hyatt, are they instructive? I think they're instructive in one way, Your Honor. Uh, in, in Mr. Farmer's briefing, um, it spends quite a bit of time distinguishing between interstate and intrastate activities. Um, but I, I believe the facts in, in our case are quite similar to the facts in Hyatt, which of course overturned Hall. And I think what's important there is that in Hyatt, the allegations were that an agency of the state of California engaged in torts occurring entirely in another state, the state of Nevada. Just as here, we have an agency of the state of Alabama alleged to have committed torts entirely in the state of North Carolina. And the, the court in Hyatt was not moved by that in any way. That the uh, torts allegedly occurred entirely within the other state, the state trying to bring suit within its own courts, uh, did not matter to the Hyatt court. It, the sovereign immunity uh, existed and was a defense to that state agency, notwithstanding the fact that those torts occurred allegedly within the state, which I think puts it on all fours factually with this case, Your Honor. It seemed that Hall involved an employee of the University of Nevada that was driving a vehicle in California and the accident occurred uh, in California uh, and the uh, defendants uh, wanted to uh, utilize, I guess, Nevada uh, sovereign immunity uh, and that was denied by the court in Hall and that seems to be what has been overturned by Hyatt. Um, how does that impact our analysis, those facts? The facts in Hall. Uh, I, I, I don't think that they, they change the analysis because, uh, because of the scope of the holding in Hyatt. I don't think it matters that the activity the, the, that was at issue there, the accident in the state of California, I don't think it matters where it occurred. I think what matters is whether sovereign immunity exists as a defense to jurisdiction in state courts of another state. I have just one more question about the extent of the immunity that you, that, that you're um, arguing the law provides here. So, so you're telling us that the provision of education was a governmental, is a governmental function um, and that Troy University is in North Carolina carrying out a governmental function. Does that mean they can carry out any governmental function in North Carolina and be completely immune from suit in state court for any, under any of the laws of the state of North Carolina? I can't think of a circumstances under which a North Carolina state court could have jurisdiction over an arm of the state of Alabama without the state of Alabama's consent. So they have essentially com complete immunity to do whatever they want. Well, I, I, I would think Alabama. if that, you know, if, if consent is necessary and isn't given, I would think the state of North Carolina could deny the, the access or the ability to uh, conduct affairs in the state of North Carolina, it, absent a waiver. So is the certificate the equivalent, uh, the equivalent of a license to do business here? Uh, perhaps. I, I, I think uh, it has many purposes, among them um, tax purposes, and uh, as you say, license I think is probably an appropriate word to do business here. So why, why is the um, obtaining of a license by an arm of the state not the equivalent to consent as discussed in Hyatt and Federalist 81? Because I, I think it is implicit only. I think one could imply from obtaining that license that a waiver has occurred, but it is not unequivocal and it is not explicit. And, 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 and you know, that's, I think, for example, in uh, Sossaman v. Texas, a 2011 Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court case, I think, I think it goes into um, great detail about how we, how the courts should view uh, anything that is considered to be uh, evidence of a waiver, right? And, and with that statute to say, to be 
treated the same as a, a domestic nonprofit corporation of like uh, character. You know, I think what, what Sossman says is if, if there's any way to read a statute that preserves the sovereign immunity of the state, it is to be read that way. Let, let me um, turn your attention to the Georgia versus Chattanooga case. Um, in, in that case, uh, the, the court states that having acquired land in another state for the purpose of using it in a private capacity, on and on and on, um, why, would, why would the acquisition of a license not be similar to the Georgia versus Chattanooga acquisition of property? Uh, well, for one thing, I, I, I believe that the Chattanooga case um, may be fully reversed by Hyde. Uh, and, and I think that there's instruction there from Justice Thomas in the majority writing when he talks about uh, Nathan v. Virginia, where the state of Virginia, in, in sort of extraterritorial action, purchased land in the state of Pennsylvania. And I shouldn't say the state at the time, you know, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, in 1781 purchased land there. And, and the, 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 the court in Pennsylvania said, this private citizen in Pennsylvania cannot maintain an action against Virginia in our Pennsylvania courts, even though this is a, um, what you may call a proprietary function, the purchase of land here, and even though the land is entirely in the Commonwealth of, of Pennsylvania. And, and that predated Chattanooga, of course, but Chattanooga predates Hyatt, and, and I think when the Hyatt court points approvingly to that determination in Nathan v. Virginia, I, I think you see just what the extent is, at least in the mind of the majority in the Supreme Court, of sovereign immunity. And so I, I, I sort of think that there are some real factual differences with the Chattanooga case. Um, for instance, you know, it was no longer being run by uh, the state of Georgia and it had leased to a, a private company and the like. Um, but I absolutely think that the decision in Hyatt tells us that the Chattanooga case doesn't apply here. It doesn't tell us anything about uh, the extent of sovereign immunity. Thank you, counsel. I believe your time's expired. Thank you, Your Honor. Rebuttal. Let me start by going back to Thacker and uh, talking about that. Uh, and the court said, and Thacker said, this is quoting from Thacker, and uh, Thacker's discussing uh, uh, Federal Housing Administration versus Burr, says, the court made clear that in greenlighting the suit, it was doing what the courts normally should. Sue and be sued clauses, the court explained, should be liberally construed. It's clear, I think, based on Thacker that, and the facts of Thacker are really very close to what we're dealing with. Thacker's a boat accident. A man's out there driving a boat on the Tennessee River. He runs into some downed power lines and he suffers severe uh, physical injuries. The U.S. Supreme Court said he had a right to sue for negligence based on these uh, sue and be sued clauses. Uh, the uh, the other side was taking the position that this was sovereign immunity. The court said, no, they found express wave on sue and be sued clauses, which is the, the same thing we're dealing with here. Again, this is a business. This is commerce we're dealing with. Uh, uh, the uh, defense counsel was talking about, he mentioned that, uh, that Troy University was involved in, uh, he said, public school in uh, North Carolina, education in North Carolina. No, this is a business. Uh, they're a, they're a corporation, they're a nonprofit corporation, but a corporation in North Carolina. And the only reason they came into North Carolina was to conduct business. That's what the, the certificate of authority says. On the, it says to transact business. That's on the, on the front of the document. So this is a corporate entity. This is uh, entrepreneurship, I think we talked about. Uh, buying and selling it. Uh, the record of the, our record on appeal, page 56 and 57, Mr. Farmer says in his affidavit that, that Troy was in the business of, uh, of uh, making uh, 
business transactions. They were buying and selling. That's what he point, says in his affidavit. So clearly this is not any education. They didn't build a university in North Carolina, which they could not have done unless they got the consent of the North Carolina General Assembly, and that was never going to happen. So clearly we're dealing here with uh, commerce. Uh, there was a, an, a question dealing with quorum, and quorum had an express waiver. The point that this court makes in quorum is you've got to have a remedy. If there's a wrong as a result of a tort in North Carolina, you have to have a remedy. The, uh, Mr. Farmer shouldn't be shut out of have, having any remedy in Alabama or North Carolina. He suffered serious injuries in this case. So I think that's the that's point I wanted to make in terms of, uh, of uh, this Nathan v. Virginia, Georgia v. Chattanooga is right on point in this case. And, and uh, Hyatt doesn't have anything to do. They never discussed Georgia v. Chattanooga. This Nathan versus Virginia argument he makes, uh, that was prior to the beginning of the United States as a country. It has, no, uh, it has no significance, I would argue, to this court. But remember what Georgia v. Chattanooga says. As a result of being a corporation doing business, it divested itself of its sovereign character. So there's no sovereign immunity here. That's our argument on the second Mr. argument. Mr. Mr. Kennedy, yeah. I believe your time's expired. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both counsel, Mr. Clark.